So welcome to the podcast, Mike, and thanks for agreeing to come on. Um, just by way of thank introduction, you <laughs> thank you. Um, by way of introduction, Mike is married to my cousin out in South Africa, and they are both junior doctors. And um, Mike's such an interesting guy because although he's always been doing medicine for as long as I've known him, he's also had such an entrepreneurial spirit and um, has had all of these business ventures alongside his medical career. And so I thought he'd be a great podcast guest to come and talk to us what it's like to balance such a, a demanding career, but also have multiple interests outside of that. So Mike, please, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your background? Perfect. Well, thank you for, for having me on the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to the previous episodes. Um, I don't know, I, w- I wouldn't consider myself an expert doctor or an expert entrepreneur, but um, yeah, I'd love to share with you kind of some of the things that I've been um, interested in and, and been doing over the last couple of years. Uh, so I guess I was born in South Africa um, in Johannesburg and my parents moved to the UK when I was six years old. Um and yeah, so we lived in the UK for about eight years uh, in a little town called Hawley, which is between London and Brighton. For, for those of you who don't know, by Gatwick Airport. And did, nice. you know, did my schooling there until year eight, um, when my parents decided to move back to South Africa. Is um, that because, sorry to interrupt, but is that because um, they thought you were on the wrong side of the tracks, as you keep <laughs> telling us? Um. Yeah, I think the main reason they moved back was um, my schooling in the UK wasn't um, great. Um, neither was my behavior at the time. I think I was just um, kind of like everyone is at 11, 12, 13. You kind of want to impress people or, and in my school or want to be cool. And I think I was just caught up in the wrong kind of scene. Um, and the UK was just, my school especially, it was kind of like a, I don't know what to call it, a government school where everyone in the town goes to. And I just, yeah, I think just made some poor decisions, was uh, getting into trouble a lot. Um, My parents got called in a couple of times and I think they just um, wanted to pull the plug on it. Yeah, Um, a bit of a fresh prince. They were always going to go back to South Africa. Um, They were always planning on coming back. Um, I think that was just the final um, push that they needed. (laughs) I always um, find that such a funny story because looking at you now with your so wholesome and your so holy, like pious nature, not pious, but like, <laughs> I find it really funny that you have like a French, a fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of background story. So I thought yeah, I would just exactly. I should make that. a song out of it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on with your background, Mike. No, no problem. So yeah, we moved to South Africa and for me, I think it was a great, um, uh, move as you can kind of when you meet a whole you know put into a new school and a new system you can kind of do a full 180 and um, start afresh um, and just a South African schooling system really worked for me it was a lot more it's a lot stricter a lot more um, structured than there was in the UK um, like uh, in the UK I could pretend to go to school not go and then go back home afterwards and no one at the school would tell my parents I wasn't at school it's like a, that would just wouldn't happen here um, in the school I went to here so really enjoyed school here got a really good group of friends um, that were all um, what do you say go get just all wanting to kind of um, they were all quite um, you know driven and motivated um, and then left school, started doing studying medicine, um, 
had a little bit of a wobble halfway through and thought I would find a way out. Um, so I did a, a postgraduate science degree um, in immunology for a year uh, and then decided to finish off my medical, um, my Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery. And then, yeah, working as a junior doctor for just over two years now. Wow. Well, um, and I can imagine it's such an, I know you've got a slight interesting story about why you're not practicing right now in the midst of the coronavirus. Um, And it's something to do with the bureaucracy of sort of South African red tape around getting your sort of like doctor credentials in order. Um, Mm. But throwing it back. So when you were studying medicine, why did you ever want to become a doctor? And how has the general process been? (laughs) Um, well, actually deciding to become a doctor was, was quite late on in my senior school and high school. Um, I, I genuinely believed when I was growing up that I'd be a professional sportsman. Like legitimately thought I was going to, that was, that's what I was going to do <laughs> till, till literally like till high school. Um, and then realized that I didn't have the temperament for that or perhaps the innate ability. Um, and then it was just kind of a combination of things. Um, being being a white male in South Africa, um, that you there's a certain sense of guilt um, that comes along with uh, living in South Africa, just with our history and um, on the background of apartheid. And there's massive social injustice, and kind of medicine offered me a way to kind of address some of those feelings. Um, and then it was also the most difficult thing to get in and I'm quite competitive. So I was, that kind of appealed to me. Um, and my best friend at the time was, was interested in it. And we used to study together and it kind of all mm. just fell into place at the same time I was 18 and, um, well, me at 18, I was like very immature. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into or if it was actually the right thing for me. Um, but it kind of just, happened really it didn't it wasn't something that I grew up saying I wanted to be a doctor Mm. I think it's so funny when you mentioned about sort of doing what your peer group was doing because I think that that has such a disproportionate effect on massive life decisions (laughs) I I selected my secondary school based on where my best friend said she was going to go um and then she actually buggered off to Rome and so then I just started that (laughs) secondary school alone but it was uh, it was definitely just because my friends are doing it but also such a um I mean it's such a great thing to get into even if your friends are doing it it sounds like maybe from what you're saying about England following your peer group there might have led you down a very different path in life um but irrespective of how you found your way into medicine um Mm. how do you think I I guess like a few of my friends here are junior doctors in the UK so I've grown up around Mm. kind of their experience especially in the last couple of years of what it's like to work in London in hospitals um can you describe sort of some of the highs and the lows of being a junior doctor and practicing medicine in South Africa Sure. I think with, with all doctors around the world, there are kind of some common, common experiences that you, you will kind of face no matter where you are, whether you're in the UK or South Africa or wherever you're practicing. There are kind of some things that you can't get away from in medicine. Um, what makes South Africa a little bit different is um, we, we, our society is very, very much impacted by the, the apartheid era with this kind of splits into a lot of a lot of uh countries like the uk there's a lot of classism where kind of people's classes are 
uh, people who are rich kind of stay and interact with people who are rich and vice versa. And, and here that divide is also along racial lines. Um, and it's also caused a whole bunch of different problems that we have. So we have a lot of first world issues in South Africa when it comes to medicine, but a lot of third world issues that have kind of been perpetuated by apartheid. Um, so in South Africa, we've got a lot of um, lifestyle diseases like we have in the UK. So hypertension, diabetes, um, obesity, and kind of strokes and heart attacks that occur from that. But then we also have a massive burden of HIV and AIDS um, and some opportunistic infections like tuberculosis um, and then also diseases of, of, of poverty. Um, so severe acute malnutrition in, in young children and diarrhea and pneumonia actually causing death in young children, which is not as, as common, say, in the UK. And then kind of sprinkled on top, we've got a, a massive burden of, of trauma. Um, so uh, for people who don't know South Africa's kind of gang scene, it's uh, alive and well, and it's uh, not uncommon to see multiple um, gunshots and stabbings uh, in a night. So just for kind of context about the South African healthcare system, there's, it feels like a four-pronged attack. It's kind of coming from all angles. Um, and it's very difficult in a, in a resource limited setting to kind of address all of those, those issues. Um, in terms of the lows and the highs of the job, um, I think things that are common to most doctors are, it's a massive time commitment. Uh, the job is, um, you know, a lot of lost sleep. Um, for me, it's difficult not to to take work home and to think about patients when you're at home. So kind of that line between work and relaxation is blurred. Um, mm. And then finding time to kind of see your friends and family um, is often quite difficult. Those are kind of experienced no matter where you are in the world. Um, as well as there's, there's definitely an emotional burden to, uh, to face, you know, you're 24, 25 when you start working um, in the hospital and you facing things like death and terminations of pregnancies and dealing with your own mistakes in the hospital that have that have consequences. Um, so, and then there's a lot of, you know, in medicine, traditionally quite a lot of hierarchy that you have to deal with. Um, and those are uh, things that are, I suppose are not unique to South Africa, um, but are often intensified um, in our setting. Um, I can think of, do you mind me sharing a story maybe? No, I would love you to share the stories. I was going to, I just a couple, I remember you telling me uh, like the times where you were delivering the baby and the mother was HIV positive and some blood got in your mouth and then you worried she'd become HIV positive. And I guess that's just like a situation which I suppose could occur anywhere else, but it's just so much more high stakes in somewhere like South Africa, where there's such a high HIV positive population compared to like in the UK, you wouldn't be necessarily yeah. exposed to situations that are like that. No, exactly. I think HIV and AIDS, I mean, we've got the highest population of HIV positive people in the world. Um, and almost 30% of pregnant mothers are HIV positive. So it's massive. It's really, um, it's completely part of our, our kind of, practice we're always thinking about HIV and TB um, but for me like a, a kind of day which will sum up is a like a very low I, I think there's a couple of times I've cried at work um, and I'm not normally one to um, to cry but there's certain like like situations um, so a, a particular occasion that I can think of was probably the first time that I ever like broke down at work 
It was only um, three months into the job. But we do, mo- most doctors will do a call where you, you're on for however many hours, 26, 28 hours. Um, and I was in gynecology at the time. Um, and sorry, I wasn't in gynecology. I was in medicine at the time. And basically any patient that comes into the hospital with a medical condition, um, we will take in for that 24 hour period. Um, so we had a very sick patient come in. who was actually the exactly same age as me and was extremely sick. She had lupus, um, and we were trying to figure out what was wrong. And she was, uh, bleeding easily. And what she was in a state called DIC where you can't, you can't clot your, uh, blood, uh, basically. And basically was stuck with her for uh, the whole day. And the next morning you obviously, um, tired and you're dealing with someone that's very sick and it makes it a lot more personal when they're, when they're your age. And because you feel like you have to stay there, I ended up staying there much, much longer than, than I should have. And there's a system in South Africa where in the nighttime you're um, by yourself as a junior doctor in the covering the, wow. the hospital. Um, so whatever happens in the wards, you have to go up and sort out. So if someone needs to be resuscitated or if someone passes away and you need to call the family, all that stuff's going on in the background. But I had this um, sick patient and basically couldn't get any support in the night and was running between the two and she eventually, um, passed away the, the following day when I was, you know, I was well into my, well over 30 hours at the hospital. And I feel like those kind of situations, um, are not unique to South Africa, but happen more commonly in South Africa. Um, and then there's not really, there's, there's no real support, uh, after you go through something like that. It's very, uh, very much like, cool, let's move on to the next day. Um, so especially in your first year, you deal with a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff like that, I suppose. Yeah. That's, that's so, that's so heavy for anyone to deal with, but then also to deal with it so repetitively, um, mm. it's kind of like that ongoing trauma and then not to maybe have the psychological support around junior doctors to deal with that. I know that that's really common here as well. And people always are yeah. talking about the mental health crises that junior doctors face because mm. of how much they're dealing with and seeing in terms of treating their patients. Yeah. I suppose, like, yeah, talk- it's oh, a yeah. double-edged sword, you know, your... Yeah. You to get that exposure and to get that experience is obviously um, what's needed to become to become a better doctor. Um, mm. And there are a lot of times when you um, you'll experience things in medicine that you wouldn't get in other jobs that are extremely fulfilling and um, kind of human interactions or intangible things that um, are, are unique to the job that I have come to appreciate more and more as as my career has gone on. Um, that perhaps my friends who aren't in medicine don't get to experience um, as well. It's so interesting because it's kind of like the opposite model to Singapore because I was there a couple of years ago and I I managed to visit one Mm. of the big hospitals and they were talking about how they teach junior doctors and students and they were saying that um, in Singapore there's not enough cadavers so they don't even practice on real humans they practice like on 
sort of human robots and a lot of the students yeah. don't don't treat real patients until well into their career mm. and it's kind of like the exact opposite in South Africa and in, in terms of how you guys are thrown into the deep end and all the turmoil exactly. that comes with that but as well as all the learnings obviously so Mike well, um, yeah. oh sorry I was just gonna say discussing some of those lows is that what just bringing on to the second strand of the conversation is that kind of what inspired mm. you to go more into the business side or was it more driven by the fact that you felt sort of doctors can have such an impact one-on-one -on -one, but not necessarily on a hugely broad scale because you only have two hands yeah. was, which part of that kind of for me it was a bit different because I was always innately entrepreneurial I've always um wanted to Initially, when I was younger, it was wanting to make money and be wealthy and successful. Um, but I've always, in every situation, kind of thought, how can this be turned into a business? How can this be monetized? Um, and been, it's been something that's, um, it wasn't an active decision to go into kind of business ventures or to try and start uh, businesses or companies. It was something that I was always doing through high school, having little um jobs and starting uh, businesses and selling things to people. That's always something I've done. Um, my, my focus in med school was to obviously try and make it as closely related to medicine um, as I could. And kind of long-term goal was that, that business ventures will probably be tied to medicine where, where my expertise lie. Um, but yeah, it was, it was something that was, I was always going to do. Um, when I told my parents I was doing medicine, they were, um, or wanted to do meds, and they were um, shocked. I think they were always thinking I was going to go into business. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't an active decision related to medicine. It was something that I was always going to do. And what are some examples of um, business ventures that you've done? And you can include your most recent one, which obviously we want everyone to hear about as well. <laughs> um, well, I think I did the normal, like, university jobs. So I was... Um, I was trying to kind of supplement uh, my lifestyle when I was at university. So obviously delivering pizzas and tutoring and things like that. Um, and at the end of my first year, uh, the, the main business that I've had is selling selling medical supplies to, to doctors and to students. Um, so that took up basically my whole med school career um, was sourcing and importing uh, medical supplies and then yeah, supplying them to people here in South Africa. Um, so that that business, um, in terms of making money, was definitely my most successful um, so far and was kind of forced to stop that as I was finishing my final exams at university just because of, um, of time and I was playing a lot of football at the time um, and everything kind of was just, there weren't enough hours in the day. And I, I was losing a bit of passion for it. Um, but for me, the, the spending that time creating a business just like taught me so much about how to set up a business and how to run a business and what your kind of initial goals need to be as a business for, for it to be successful in the, in the long term. Um, Do you think that there then, are... Sorry, uh, I was going to say, but no, no. Um, I'm interested in whether you think there are some transferable skills between sort of you with your business hat on and you with your I don't know 
medical gloves on what kind of skills were you using to interplay and do you think that you know doctors should be more business minded in how they um treat their practices or business people need to be more I don't know what what the transferable skill there would be maybe like detail orientated maybe patient user-centric empathetic yeah I think um definitely there's a there's a crossover um Doctors are no- notoriously bad for, especially when going into private practice, for doing the business side right. Um, and, but I think there's also a lot of uh, things that business uh, businessmen can learn from uh, from the medical side. I'm trying to think what what could be. I suppose if you if you're starting a business purely to to make money and purely thinking about your margin and the the bottom line and how you can squeeze as much money out of a business, I think it's a really poor place to start. Um, I think the best businesses are started with the user um, in mind. So whether it's, it's how much value you can provide upfront that user. Um, and for me, my my goal now, every time I set up a business is to, to not ask how can I monetize this, but rather ask how much value can I give or what, what can I do that's going to actually help the customer? Because that, that kind of kills two birds with one stone because with fair exchange, if you're providing value, you're always going to be, um, money will come in, um, but you also get that sense of fulfillment or purpose and drive to continue the business. So for me, when planning, when planning like doing businesses and things like that, I think people need to to think first is like, what value can they give, not how can they monetize it? So I suppose that's, mm. that's possibly, uh, you know, what businesses could could do in terms of uh, doctors. Um, I think whatever you do, if it's not profitable, if it's not making money, it's not sustainable. Um, and that's kind of the unless you're getting a continuous supply of external funding, which there is a lot of in medicine. Um, you really need to do something that is going to make money and is going to sustain itself. Um, and I think a lot of people start medical medical companies or medical businesses with a lot of injected capital um, and they don't have that immediate need to make money and they make a product that perhaps services the client but then doesn't actually um, last in the long run because they've not created a structure that that is going to allow for cash to flow into that business so then they're continually reliant on external sources of funding And, and luckily in medicine there's a lot of people who are spending money there, whether it be altruistically or as an investment. Um, but yeah, maybe those are the two kind of things that each could learn from each other. That makes any sense? No, that did. That was really, really insightful, I think. I like the, I guess as a doctor, you're always trained to, there's no dual incentive. It's not like you'll treat this patient and they'll give something back to you. And so I, I, mm-hmm. I like that as like a grounding point for why you're starting a business, what value you're producing, but then also um, you're starting a business and necessarily it has to be sustainable. So how, what's the sort of commercial model behind that? I think there's a lot of interplay mm-hmm. and I think we're seeing more of it now because we're seeing more players that weren't, I think in the past, healthcare was very much, owned by healthcare institutions and now we're seeing Mm. a lot of technology players come into healthcare and sort of yeah almost like democratize that industry um in terms of who can be a supplier of medical solutions 
um, rather than who can just practice medicine. And so I think we're seeing a lot more in terms of the intersection between business and and medicine now. And and I guess it's people like you that will be really fundamental being able to bridge that. Which comes on to our next topic of what you're launching at the moment and why it's so um, topical in light of COVID-19. Would you like me to describe it all? Yes, I would love you. <laughs> I feel like it was a real cliffhanger. I thought you were going to jump in and, and sell your pitch. But um, so Mike's working on a business right now, um, which is around getting elderly people to become more active. So that's your starting point, Mike. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's all very new. It's, it's only been um, the actual product has only been live for just under two weeks now. Um, but yeah, basically it was... Uh, some, I just come off my, my orthopedic rotation, so I was dealing a lot with um, broken bones and a lot of elderly uh, people who had fallen. Um, and a fall in, in an elderly person is, is completely devastating. I think one in 10 falls result in a hospitalization. So it really is um, quite a big uh, burden of disease. And a large proportion of people over 65 will experience a fall um, every year. Um, in the US, it's 25% of people. And then we kind of, as doctors, we just deal with the immediate problem and, and send them home um, without kind of an uh, actionable advice that they could do. So for me, I, d- I wanted to set up something that's um, involved movements that that are proven to reduce the risk of falling and and if someone does fall then um increase their ability to one recover from the fall or to actually um get up from that fall and and seek help um so it's kind of started as a i mean the long-term goal is for it to be a profitable business um at the moment it's more of an, an altruistic thing where i would like to get as many people um, access to this program as, as they can. So the, the course is free. Um, and we've had about 200 people sign up in the last 12 days, which has been nice. It's amazing. Um, and some really good feedback from uh, from the people doing the course. So selfishly, it's been really nice because it, it's given me, um, it's, it's quite fulfilling to feel like you're actually helping, um, actually helping people. And I think it's some, the reason it's free and the reason it's going to be free for the foreseeable future is previous businesses that I've tried to start, I've been extremely impatient at the start. Um, and for me, like impatience is uh, an infatuation of the future. It's, it's trying, to, um, trying to make the future happen quicker, trying to get the money in quicker. Um, and it's more of a, it's, it's a symptom of, not being comfortable with um, how things are going at the present moment. Um, I was always in a rush in my businesses to be like traditionally successful in the business and see money and see it quickly. Um, whereas this business, I've got a lot longer term focus on, um, you know, if I'm having five, 6,000 people in a group that are all, you know, of similar demographic and all have similar, ne- similar needs, it's going to be very easy to monetize um that group you know so, so if you just des- a long game on this yeah if you just describe so when mike's talking about the program it's it's certain videos that elderly people can mm. watch that show them how to um do exercises 
that only involves sort of an armchair or at home materials. That's right, right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they only need a, a chair and then it's, it's, then most of them are 10 to 12 minutes long. Um, and you just follow along with, with what I'm doing. Um, and you can, you can scale to, to your, to your needs or your requirements. Um, so if you need to stay in the chair, then you can, otherwise you can use the chair for balance. Um, so it's a very simple system. And then the kind of second phase is that I'm developing a bunch of, uh, interviews and lectures on specific topics that are related to uh, people over the age of 65. Um, so awesome. that will be kind of a resource bank for people to to visit and just become more informed about uh, certain health conditions and maybe expel some myths about um, yeah, other things that happen in old, old age. Yeah, I think um, geriatric care, it's not the sexiest of industries, but there are some really innovative companies doing things at the moment. Um, There's a company called Elder in the UK. There's a lot of um, companies around sort of, yeah, fall detection and uh, helping families be able to check in on loved ones um, that are living at home with some sort of like IoT monitoring devices and then something like yours which is kind of um, empowering older people to be able to take charge of their own exercise especially with everyone being so sedentary at the moment so that's so great and um, for the listeners it's called Steadily and it can be found on www.steadily.com is that it Mike? It's uh, No it's actually (laughs) sorry it's a bit of an awkward one but it's HTTPS um, Ah. Yeah, not www. I need to uh, I need to sort that out. I'm not the most tech savvy person in the world. Well, you can see I'm um, so prepared for this podcast that I already looked it up and got it wrong. Um, <laughs> but I will link it in the show notes. But it's, yeah, it's steadily.teachable.com. Awesome. And um, I fully expect that to take off. And I can't wait to hear of all of the people, including my very own grandparents, that are going to be raving about it once I show them how to use it today. Um, But just to close off, what does the future have in store for Dr. Mike Nell? Um, That's a difficult question to answer for me, um, partly because I change my mind uh, every six minutes. But um, for me, I think it's like five years ago, my plan was to was to drop out of medicine and not do medicine. So it's quite difficult to to look into the future. But I know that I'm going to be my decisions are going to kind of my north star is that my lifestyle will allow for me to spend quality time and my energy with with immediate family. and allow me to prioritize uh, spending time on my health and then trying to make a career that's not stagnant. Um, it's fulfilling for me, um, provide, like provides me with a sense of, of purpose. Um, I don't know what that's going to entail exactly. Um, but yeah, I think there will be a stage where I specialize and, and settle down in a field of medicine. Um, but yeah, I think it's for me. It's it's important to make decisions in medicine. You can often be on a what feels like a train to one destination, and and jumping off is going to be very painful. And to realize that there are actually so many areas of medicine that you can find a place and suit your your lifestyle, but as well as your your career goals. Um, so I'll be somewhere somewhere closer to to that goal. 
awesome. If that makes any sense. That did. And I'm super excited to watch you in your journey and to always call mm. you up in case I have any ailments. That's the benefit <laughs> of knowing doctors in your life. But thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the podcast. And I will link in the show notes um, steadily. Bye. Thank you very much, Millie. It's been nice to chat. See you later.